You're fed up with the nine to five. You've been working hard for years and you're just not seeing the results you want. You want to break free from the traditional career, but don't know how. Business Breaks is here to help. Hello, everyone. This is Business Breaks, where we speak with leaders who are making a difference in their industry. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Bernard Cates, a transformational leadership coach and mentor with a wealth of experience at senior leadership levels in various sectors. Bernard's work is unique in that he specializes in helping new leaders who have just been promoted and are struggling to lead effectively. He understands that just because someone is good with tools, it doesn't mean they're good with people. Bernard's driving force is his passion for creating healthy workplaces. He has seen firsthand the negative impact of poor leadership on employees and organizations. He believes that everyone deserves to enjoy their working life and is committed to helping leaders create positive workplace cultures that lead to happy employees, increased productivity, and ultimately, a healthier bottom line. Currently, Bernard is celebrating the success of his Foundations of Leadership Workshop series, which has helped countless new leaders gain the skills they need to succeed in their roles. The series is available online and in person. We can't wait to dive deeper into Bernard's insights and learn more about his journey as a leadership coach so today, I'm going to skip the usual Q&A format and have a conversation about coaching as a skill for business leaders. So without further ado, let's get started. Bernard, welcome to Business Breaks. Thanks, Dante. Uh, it's going to be interesting to have a bit of a conversation about leadership and, and the uh, relationship between leadership and coaching and how that fits into uh, business generally. Yeah, I'm super excited for this episode. Thanks, Bernard, for being here. And for the benefit of our listeners, what is coaching and how can it be used as a successful leadership practice in modern business? Well, coaching generally is about helping people to figure out who they really are and what that means in terms of what they really want in their life. And often that's what a life coach will do, um, Mm -hmm. just helping people to realize, you know, what is what what what's my life about? You know, what, what do I want in my life? But, you know, a life coach will use a number of techniques to actually help their people, their, their clients to, to, to get that kind of understanding and that insight into their life. And as a leader, when you're working with people, we're using the same skill set and often some of the same tools that a life coach will use because our business, when you think about it, is all about people. Without our people, we've got no business. And if we've got no business, we're not going to make any money. And so, you know, it makes sense for us as leaders in the business world to pay attention to that and to look after our people properly, to pay attention to their needs um, and to make sure that we're actually uh, leading them in an appropriate way that works for them. But, you know, I often get asked uh, about the difference between management and leadership. So I'd just like to cover off on that before we go any further. Management, of course, is transactional. and It's about rules and procedures and budgets and timelines and profits and loss and all of that sort of thing. But leadership is about people, and that's about their hopes and fears, their likes and dislikes, their strengths and weaknesses. And those are the things that we need to pay attention to. 
obviously, if you if you find yourself in a management role, you've got to pay attention to both of those things. But if you neglect the leadership, then you're going to fail. As a leader, you've got to focus on the people that you lead. So one of your objectives is to get the best out of your people, and that is to make sure that they do a good job to the very best of their capabilities. And here's the really crucial part. They do that because they want to and not because they're afraid of the consequences if they don't. So how do you get them to that level of self-motivation? Well, the answer to that is you coach them. You get them to figure out why they're here in this job, in this industry, working for you. So that's what we're talking about when we talk about how we're using coaching skills to, to, to work with our people. That's really insightful, and thank you. So it's really about driving your team and they are all individuals with all different motivations different backgrounds different goals and different beliefs indeed they are quite often you know they haven't even thought about that they've Mm -hmm. they've taken the job with you because it kind of felt like something they might be interested in uh, possibly it's been Mm -hmm. it's an industry that kind of that's that's taken their interest and they've kind of gone with it without really questioning their motives as to why. You know, why why am I doing this? And I, I guess, you know, if if you're a leader listening to this, I'd ask you the same question: Why are you doing what you're doing? Why have you decided to work in this industry? Why have you decided that this is going to be what's right for you? When so many people never question it, they never think about it, and so quite often, you know, you'll find people get into things that don't really suit them. But they've never asked why. They've never explored that. And so they're unhappy at work. They wake up in the morning thinking, oh, God, I've got to go to work today. And, you know, and they, because of that, they don't put their full efforts into it. Their, their enthusiasm is not there. So, you know, it, you, you, you got to make sure that you're in the right place, doing the right thing. So when, I, when I'm working with somebody uh, who's new to leadership, I'll start with that question, you know, who are you, as in who are you in your heart, not who are you, as in what's your name, where do you live, what do you do for a living, those sorts of things. I want to know what your personal values are. What are your principles? What are the principles by which you live your life? Because that's what really motivates you to get out of bed each day and go to work. That's what's behind every decision that you take, every action that you take. And they're also the voice of your conscience. So if you don't understand your values, then you'll find it very difficult to understand anybody else's. And if you don't have that kind of deep understanding of yourself and your people, then you're never going to be an effective inspirational or transformational leader. And so that is one of those skills which is central to life coaching as well. But as a leader, you've really got to get across this. Yeah, it's it's a lot to take in. And uh, thank you for that. That was very value-packed and insightful. So. I guess it all starts from the leader themselves, just to take my read of it, and also self-awareness to a certain extent, being mindful of what you do, and then being aligned with your your own motivation, your own drive, and being able to live your values. Because if if you're trying to preach something, you have to be consistent with that and be authentic. Because if if you're not authentic, people will sense that naturally. It will come out. And if you can't live through your values, then why should I, as a follower, why should exactly I follow right. you? You know, 
Exactly right. No, that's that's so important. That's a, a really good point you touch on there, uh, Dante. That authenticity, you know, showing the the the, uh, the true person that you are to your team, and sometimes that means being vulnerable. That is one of those things that 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 is the hallmark of a really good leader. It helps to build trust. If they see that you know there's 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 no nonsense about you, you know what you see is what you get, then they're more inclined to trust you. And if they can trust you, then you can lead them. If they don't trust you, you can't lead them. It's as simple as that. It really is. So, you know, you've, if you step into a leadership role, one of your first priorities is going to be to build trust with your people. Because until you've done that, you can't lead them. If you can't lead them, you're not going to go anywhere, you know, with them um, as a team. So that's really crucially important to, to, to do that. So, um, you're right. You know, the, the step one is, as it said on the Temple of Apollo at the Oracle of Delphi, 360 BC. You know, know thyself was one of the things that was there. The ancient Greeks knew it. It's ancient wisdom, but it's still true today. That's where they start from. Know thyself. I mean, the Greek myths are, are amazing, and I remember as a teenager growing up reading them on my parents' Encyclopedia Britannica, mainly because they. Even though they were supposedly gods, they were very relatable as individuals. Nothing so divine, but they were also flawed. They had their strengths, they had their weaknesses. And I think to a certain extent, every leader has something, their bright side and their dark side, and there's this dual nature as well. I think when you're leading people, that also can come out, but as long as your strengths overcome your weaknesses, and to a certain extent, some of the best teams are where the, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. So you need a good diversity of people, diversity of characters, not necessarily ethnic diversity, but that may naturally come as a result of seeking out different characters. But uh, coming back to the coaching model of leadership, where do you think leaders fail and to a certain extent, does coaching actually help um, for people who are, shall we say, strong on the managerial side but weak on the leadership side in terms of focusing on their people rather than on what needs to get done? Yeah, I, I think often the big problem is that when people get promoted into a leadership position, they haven't had any guidance at all on how to lead people. So that's what I'm saying. They'll, they'll, they'll be good at the technical aspects of what they do, and that's why they get promoted. So it's a step to take from actually being good at the technical aspects of your role into leading people who may be doing the same things. And so, you know, you understand what it is that they're doing and, and how they, that, that has to happen. But if you don't understand the people, then it's very hard for you to uh, lead them in terms of uh, making sure that you're getting the best out of them. Uh, they're performing their best at work. So, you know, that's where the coaching skills come in. And it starts with you, yourself. And a lot of people, you know, when they step into leadership, have never thought about their own personal values. You know, what is it that motivates me? What do I need to have around me? You know, what, 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 um, what is it that really excites me and, and gets me interested and engaged in what I'm doing? 
And on the other side of that too, what is it that really gets up my nose? What really annoys me? What is it that, you know, if I have it around me, makes me feel that there's something wrong? There's, there's either something missing or there's something present that I don't like. Um, so, you know, you need to understand that about yourself so that when you find yourself in a situation, uh, you can understand what's going on and then you can figure out what's the best thing to do about it. But then, of course, you need that same understanding of your people if you want to get the best out of them. So then you understand, once you know them that well, you understand what their values are, what drives them, what they like, what they don't like, what works for them, what doesn't. Then you know how to communicate with them. And so that's the next really major point that I want to make about leadership is it's about communication. It's about communicating with your people. And that's not just one way, issuing instructions and expecting them to jump and do what you tell them. It has to be a two-way conversation back and forth between you and them so that understanding is there. So they don't just know what you want them to do. They know why you want them to do that. And they understand if they do that, they can see the bigger picture. You know, this is what we're trying to achieve as a team. So your job as a leader is to motivate them, is to get them to see this, guys, this is where we're headed. This is where we're going to be. You know, if we get all this right, all of these ducks fall into a row, then this is the objective that we're going to achieve. And you need to get them as excited about achieving that as you are, preferably even more so. So, you know, the communication uh, is really, really critically important. But communicating your vision for where that team needs to be, that's, that's, that's crucial. So, again, that's, that comes down to one of those skills that we teach life coaches is about communication, how to interact with people, how to talk to them. More importantly than that, how to listen, how to listen to them, listen to what they're telling you, and also – listen to what they're not telling you, but you know there's going on in there somewhere. So yeah, this is about understanding your people um, so as to, as to be able to communicate with them and motivate them and get them to give their best at work because they want to. I mean, that's the crucially important point, because they want to, not because you're wielding a big stick. Yeah, it's interesting. One of my former managing directors, he used to have an expression that some people like to be cuddled, other people like to be kicked in terms of motivation. And then it comes back to the classic McGregor theory X and Y type employees. But I think people are more, more nuanced than that. And it's all down to context and circumstance as well. The other thing is, so in terms of that point, it's really that there is no one size fits all when you take a coaching approach. And as you quite rightly put, coaching comes back to those communication techniques. And you need to balance the different types of communication. So there's, for example, you can be actively listening, letting them talk. You can also ask engaging questions that actually get the employee, the team member or coachee, if you're a life coach, to actually reflect on what it is that makes them think, feel or act the way they do. And then you can also provide feedback on their communication because, you know, as they say, you have two ears, one mouth. So it's more about listening and absorbing what they say both verbally and non-verbally and then you summarize and clarify what they've said you try and provide your context as an outsider because they might not see it from your perspective and everyone has their own different angle on a situation and then also reflection and reframing because 
depending on where they are in their life, they may think things are bad, but there's always someone worse off than you. In some ways, it's all about putting things into perspective. And I was actually interviewing someone last weekend, and he said, this too shall pass because he's been his success has come through overcoming his biggest challenges in life. I've led a few teams through transformations, and it does feel like you're fighting the good fight and almost to a point where you wonder, is this actually going to turn a corner? But you manage to get small wins. Those small wins eventually become bigger wins. There becomes this virtuous circle after that period of struggle. And people suddenly see the benefits of that change. And then they start becoming advocates rather than resistors. And you actually see the light at the end of the tunnel. And it becomes that new state, almost like the uh, chrysalis, right? Uh, Where the uh, caterpillar comes out and it's a butterfly going into project management sort of analogies. But uh, yeah, even that is temporary because change is constant. However, when we talk about timeless principles, being able to motivate people, being able to convince them that this change was painful in the short term is better in the long term. You have to be able to pass that feeling, pass that vision, pass that clarity and pass that belief that this is the right thing. I think that's that's really important. And this is where parallels come in. You're leading someone from one state where, yeah, it might be comfortable or it might not be. But either way, for various reasons, you have to move them because there's something better. There's always something better. For sure, yeah. And you, you raised a couple of important points there. I just want to go back to what you said at the start of that, that, that about questions. You know, your people need to be able to trust you to the point where they feel able to come and ask you questions. And sometimes that means they question the decisions that you're making. Now, if you take that as them arguing with you or not wanting to comply for some reason, uh, that's not likely to go very far. But if you take it from the point of view, they need more information, they need to clarify, then it's really important that they're able to do that. So humility, I suppose, is what that's about. You know, get down off of your ego, be a little bit humble and let your people ask you questions because that's going to help you to get the best uh, result in the long term. They may well have spotted something that you haven't. Mm. So there's a thought for you. But the other thing about questions is your people bring you a question. You might think about it a bit before you answer it and ask yourself, you know, would it be better perhaps? Would they learn more and maybe develop their professional capabilities a bit more if they had to go and figure it out for themselves? Well, if so, and if time permits, of course, then you might choose not to answer the question, but to ask a few questions of your own, you know, to steer them in the right direction without actually giving them the answer. So they can go and find it out for themselves. So the subtle art of asking appropriate questions at the appropriate time is another coaching skill. And we teach that to life coaches, and it's really important for leaders as well. Hmm. People bring you a question. They bring you a question, and your answer is, I don't know. Well, on its own, that is not a very good response to a question, even if it's true. But if you say something like, I don't know, let's find out. 
that's much better because it shows that you're interested and you're engaged with the issue and you've, you're curious about it too. And your people will appreciate the honesty in you saying that you don't know. You don't have to be the expert in everything. So, you know, remember that, that it's, it's, it, it's, it's really important that, that if you don't know, if you can't answer a question, you don't just say, I don't know. The other side of that too, sometimes they'll, you'll, they'll, you'll be asked a question that you can't answer because it's in confidence. There's something happening. You know what's happening, but you can't tell your people yet. Well, if you get asked a question like that, tell them. You say, yeah, there is something happening here. I can't tell you about it at the moment, but as soon as I can, I'll let you know. So you're not trying to cover up anything. You're not pretending. You're not blustering. You're not trying to deflect. You're, you're being perfectly honest with them. And if you can do that, then they're going to trust you. And that, I think, uh, as I said before, is incredibly important. It's it's one of those things that is it's fundamental to holding a team together and getting the best out of them. So that's um, that's a, a critically important point. The other thing I would say too is that people will bring you their problems when they're struggling with something. They'll come to you and they'll say, yeah, boss, I'm not sure what to do about this. That's great because that gives you the opportunity to coach them a little bit more to figure out what's going on if there's a real issue, but you can get the team together and you can work it through. If they stop bringing you their problems, then they've concluded that either you're not interested or you can't help them. Well, either of those things is a failure of leadership, in my humble opinion. Yeah. I mean, I've been through all of those and had the boss who showed they cared and only showed after I'd handed in my notice for a better paying job. Also, I've had ex-reports who came to me because they'd moved on internally and their new manager wasn't being as supportive as they needed to be and they came to me for advice. I've also had situations where I had direct reports who I didn't get on with because either way, for whatever reason, they couldn't respect me or I wasn't able to give them what they wanted. And from that perspective, it felt like a broken promise. And again, from my perspective, I've also felt like when a manager promises me something and they break that promise when I feel like I've delivered, then that respect and that loyalty disappears and then it's open season on the job market, as they say. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. People don't leave bad jobs. They leave bad leaders. But, you know, trust is so it's so incredibly important uh, in, in that relationship between uh, a leader and the led the team members, the followers. So you have to have it. But, you know, I would say that, you know, when you take over uh, a new team um, as, a, as a new leader, your first priority is to build trust with your people. Um, they need to trust you. You need to trust them. But on the other side of that, you know, if there is somebody on your team whom you can't trust, you can't build trust with for whatever reason, you're just not able to build that trust, then get them gone. Get them off the team. Because if you don't, they will bring the whole team down. Um, and that's experience talking. <laughs> so, you know, it really is that fundamental. But, you know, I, I wouldn't say uh, you show up, you take a look at your team, you see someone you don't like the look, the look of and you boot them straight away. No, you, you owe them um, the time to work with them to build that trust or to prove to you uh, that trust cannot be established. But when you reach that point, Get them gone. Yeah, you so. manage them out. And I've yeah. had that a few times. One particular time where a report of mine actually 
went behind my back and went to a colleague who threw me under the bus at a personal development meeting where I said good things about that report. And I said, yeah, they're very busy. They're working hard. And he said, that's not what I've heard. I've heard that you haven't been giving them enough work. And that's what they've been telling me. And you better sort it out in front of other people. And yeah, needless Mm. to say, that Mm. person was given a better opportunity elsewhere, but I couldn't have them in my team. Mm, Absolutely. But, you know, the other thing that comes out of that conversation is, you know, if if someone's going to give you a bit of a dressing down, and maybe you deserve it, maybe you don't, they don't do that in an open meeting. That's just not what you do because, you know, if that's your boss, what has your boss just done? Destroyed the trust that you had between you. (laughs) If you can't trust your boss to have those conversations appropriately, just between the two of you, then you're not going to take the risk to have that sort of conversation with them again. And, you know, communication comes to an end, trust comes to an end. You need to be somewhere else. You know, that's the other thing I'd say about this. If 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 you're in an environment where you can't trust your boss, then then you need to get yourself gone. <laughs> get out of there. But yeah, I, yes. I, I think all sorts of horrible things like You look down on them, and the funny thing was it was unjustified as well because this person hadn't actually, and this was probably on me when I reflect on them, they hadn't actually delivered what I'd given them, and they were looking for more interesting work, more high-profile work. They didn't feel like the work was good enough for them, and that's what really upset me. Rather than come to me and talk to me about it, they went through a peer who actually then decided to, I don't know, make themselves look better by putting me down. Yeah. But you see, that destroys trust at so many levels, doesn't it? And, you know, your, your direct report really needed to be having that conversation with you. So yeah. there's the trust, you know. Um, he's, he comes to work and he's, he's going, well, you know, this is all right, but, you know, I'd rather be doing something else. And, and there is something else going on in the team that would interest them more. Well, you know, that's where they need to come and talk to you. They need to feel that they can trust you enough to come and have that conversation with you because, yeah. you know, you want to get the best out of your team. And so, of course, it makes sense for you to get your people into assignments that they're interested in, that engage them and make them feel that they're, they're, they're achieving something that's important to them. That's so, so very important that you have that understanding about your people, but they also have that understanding about you, that you know, they know that you are there to help them to do the best job that they possibly can. Um, the annoying so. thing was this wasn't a direct report of mine. This was someone who reported in to someone who reported in to me. It was that right. sort of structure. So, mm. yeah, I, I have managed teams as large as 22 people, this wasn't that size of a team just to uh, give you. It was in double figures at the time, but it wasn't that big. And when you're that person trying to manage a lot of responsibilities, you can't give all your attention to everyone. So sometimes you have to delegate some of that and give other people in your team opportunities to be leaders themselves and supervise. Yeah, absolutely, you do. You know, it, it, it's part of the trust relationship that you know that you understand that there's work to be done, and you can't possibly be across all of it. Not certainly not in a in a big team. 
but you know, you're not there to do the work. You're there to lead the people who do the work. And so sometimes, absolutely, you're going to have to trust people to take the lead and to take the initiative and to get something done. But, you know, they need to understand that you're trusting them to do that and that you're giving them the authority to get that done. And so, you know, that's that really comes down again to that understanding of, of who you are and what you're about. Uh, so that's why I keep keep coming back to that, uh, that, that same question, you know, know who you are, be confident in yourself, trust yourself and trust your people. Those are so so fundamentally important to uh, to to leaders to, and to leadership. So. Yeah, and the coaching is so important as a vehicle mm. for that growth in your team, because you, yeah. as you say, you can't manage everything. A, you're going to micromanage people to demoralisation, and B, you're going to become the limiting factor in your function, your department, in your company, in your business if everything has to go through you. So it's yeah, absolutely. really important. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's back to that same old, you know, the, the, the old analogy. You know, you don't have a dog and bark yourself, you know. Yeah. Trust your people. You know, hopefully you, you recruited them. Hopefully you did. If you had the opportunity to build your team, that's a fantastic place to be. You recruited those people for their skills because they were smart, because they knew what they were doing. And in their chosen field, they're probably smarter than you are if you've done it right. Um, but, you know, when you we talk about recruitment, if you like, but, you know, recruiting people for their technical skills is only one aspect of what you're doing. You're recruiting them so that they'll be a good fit into your team. So, you know, if you recruit someone who is a technical aspect, uh, a technical expert in what they do, but who also rubs everyone else up the wrong way, you know that you're just setting yourself up for some problems and conflict to come. So, you know, pick the right people. But if you've got the right people on your team, then you can trust them. You can delegate stuff to them. You can actually say, look, team, here's the objective. Your job is big picture stuff now as the leader, not on the detail. The detail is up to them. So as, as, as a leader, you can say to the team, here's where we're headed. This is the big objective that we're aiming for. Now, let's make a plan as to how we get there. And you can leave it to the team to actually contribute their ideas as to how you get from where you are today to that objective point where you want to be. So, you know, that's really about trusting your people and making them feel safe enough to share their opinions, to actually talk about what they think uh, about what needs to be done. And they can call on their technical expertise to do that. But they also need to feel safe to be able to speak out without being criticized or with, without being laughed at, you know, ridiculed. So your team environment has got to be safe, psychologically safe, as well as physically safe, so that your people feel free to speak. And if you've got a diversity of opinions on your team, and hopefully you have, then there will be disagreement between your people and perhaps between your people and, and you. But disagreement's a good thing because it leads to a better outcome. You know, as long as you can have a respectful conversation where people can put their opinions, everyone can understand those opinions, can ask questions, then maybe, you know, someone who comes along with a strong opinion on something over here, maybe they might change their mind when they've heard the argument from their colleague over here. So, you know, it's 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 really important that you can have an environment like that where your people not only trust you, but they trust each other 
and they feel safe to talk about what they genuinely think about the issues that you're facing. So that means you can get a much better outcome at the end of the day. None of us is as smart as all of us. So, you know, you need to enable that as the leader. Yeah, and sometimes it's hard to get everyone to talk. Some people are quiet. Maybe they're disengaged. Maybe they're not. A lot of the time, they're probably just shy to share their opinion. So you do try to encourage that conversation. On the flip side, trust and more importantly, uh, well, no, I think trust, it all starts with trust, but also equally importantly, respect for each other, not just you as the leader. Because I've, I've been in meetings where people in my team, if you don't set clear boundaries and guardrails, they start talking over each other. And then if you're not careful, the resentment can build up. And sometimes that's where you get into a situation where certain team members, for whatever reason, they have, everyone's unique. Some people may be dissatisfied with their position in life and they feel like, you know, they take that out on the people in front of them. So you have to be careful with that as well. You have to try and keep it professional and try and understand what's the real reason, what's your real frustration. And again, that's a private conversation you take directly with a troublemaker or whoever. And you you try and understand, well, can you appreciate how you might have made that person feel? And also ask them, because you have to show you care about them as much as just the other person. You're not playing favorites, but you're trying to, you're in a situation where you have to deal with something and how you deal with it has to be in a way that gets you to a better place, shall we say, within your team. Now, it may be common understanding. Maybe one of them will eventually have to leave. They probably leave anyway. In in the case that I was talking about, one of them eventually found another role, a better paying role elsewhere. But again, there are there are times when there's friction and when you see that friction, ideally you have to manage it and remove it. And again, that comes in the interactions between people, right that we have differences of opinion. Sometimes those differences have to be communicated. And again, it comes back to coaching when you feel like behaviors need to be tempered somewhat. Yeah, for sure. You know, as I said, you got to feel everybody on the team, everybody around that table has got to feel that they have a right to speak, um, to be heard, and everyone else has got to listen. Treat them with unconditional positive regard, um, as Carl Rogers put it. Um, Carl Rogers is a fairly uh, well-known person who developed some of a lot of the the concepts behind the techniques we use in in life coaching. Unconditional positive regard is a good place to start. So, with everybody that you meet and within every interaction, it's about respect. You treat each other with respect, and uh, that's uh, that's that would be the ground rule for for the team when you take it over. That's that, that's if you're going to uh, establish rules for how we're going to interact with each other, that's at the top of the list. Doesn't matter what's going on. Doesn't matter who said what. Doesn't matter what the situation. We will always treat each other with respect. So that's uh, that that's crucially important. But you know, I took over a team um, some years ago now, um, and my predecessor had been something of an autocrat. Um, everything was done uh, his way, and no one did anything unless he told them to do it, uh, when he told them to do it, 
and by the time he told them to do it, it would be done exactly by his rules. And so, unfortunately, that team had learned that there was no point in speaking out because if they spoke out, they would just get jumped on and told to shut up. And I don't care what you think. Do what I tell you. <laughs> so, you know, unfortunately, they'd learned that. Um, they learned not to take the initiative ever. They'd learned not to question um, the leader. And when I took them over, my style is totally different. I'm much more democratic. I like to hear what my people think. I like them to be able to, to help make decisions about what the team is going to do. And it took me fully two years to get them to the point where they felt safe to speak and where they felt that if they took the initiative, um, I would support them uh, rather than berate them for not doing it my way. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, it really does take a long time to undo that kind of conditioning. And so, you know, that's, again, a, an area where coaching skills come in. You're working with your people. You're understanding them. You're understanding what they're grappling with in terms of what they've come to believe about themselves and their place in the workplace because they've been taught by the previous boss that they were just there to do what they were told. Whereas I'm saying to them, that's actually not what I want from you. And if you think about it, it's not what you want either. Wouldn't you feel happier if you had some control in your day in how you did your job? You know, Wouldn't you feel happier if I said to you, go forth and do good stuff, and if you have a problem, fix it? If you can't fix it, then bring it to me. You know, what I'm saying to you is I'm trusting you to get this done. I'm not going to tell you how to do it because I know that you are the expert in that particular aspect of this team. So, you know, that's that's where I want that team to be. I want them to feel that they're able to speak, share their ideas, argue respectfully with each other and reach a consensus decision about which direction we're going to take. I want my colleagues to care about each other. So if one of them is having a problem, the others will help without being asked, without being prompted. They'll just see, oh, he's struggling over there. Maybe I can help him out. And they'll do that and they'll support each other. The team pulls more tightly together. They feel supported. They start getting up in the morning thinking, oh, great, I've got to go to work today and I've got these projects on and I'm helping Fred with this and Jim with that. And they get excited about things. And pretty soon, once they've got into that, that 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 uh, that new mindset great things start to happen things start to happen off on the initiative of the people on the team you know things that i as a leader hadn't even thought of <laughs> the, the team are thinking of them and they're getting good stuff done you know and i'm getting complimented by my boss because of the performance of my team they're showing up all the other teams in the organization because of the stuff they're achieving what am i doing i'm leading my team that's all I'm doing. That's all I'm doing. And that's, that's how you, 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 you get the best out of your people. And it's, that's what leads organizations to succeed. Yeah, leadership is the defining factor to a successful team. It's quite funny, actually, when people do pull together, it shows. And I, when, I was, when I was leading my first team, I had inherited them. And they were a good team, really good team, actually. but. It was very hard 
on my side because I was less experienced on projects than they were. I was more senior on the finance side, but I wasn't dealing with finance processes. I was dealing with change. And that piece was a challenge. And until I could get to that technical level and even exceed them, I was struggling to actually feel confident enough uh, in the actual work and in the role to feel like I could uh, focus on just being supportive. But I did. Well, sure. it was funny. It's tough, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's, it was funny. It, it tough, was funny because, <laughs> yeah, they are the experts. You're not. And sometimes you have to you have to go into that situation feeling um being comfortable with giving up that degree of control and you know functioning on trust but once mm. you're in that situation you learn to live on your wits a little bit figure <laughs> things out borrow heavily on people's time until you understand and you're comfortable and then you can think about well how can i use my unique perspective my unique skills to support them and also advocate for them if they see it, if they have a good idea, present it to the people that matter on their behalf, and give them credit for it where they where where it succeeds. I also think that you know your your situation was you come in to an, a very technically experienced team, but they had been suffering from a poor culture, and you had to inject that culture in there, which takes time to build. But there's also situations where you do have to micromanage people to an extent, not for long necessarily, but for a little while. And that's oh, usually, yeah. in my experience, I, I felt more comfortable when I had a technical person leading me at the beginning when i just become a fresh graduate, didn't know a lot about finance as it pertained to the real world. And I was dealing with <laughs> learning Excel uh, understanding how things worked on the shop floor. I did shop floor walks, but one of the biggest things was really the the politics on the shop floor. And that's something that was outside my control, but I would be talking to people on my level at the bottom, my peers in operation, who are telling me that the um, operations manager was favoring their family on overtime. And they were fiddling the quality of the work so that they could artificially obtain overtime requirements, shall we say. I mean, it was a false economy. What could you do? I'd explain it to my manager and say, well, this is what's happening <laughs> and we need to fix the quality, right? So again, mm. it's this, these are the early days and to an extent you're, you're trying to, I guess you're trying to figure things out. You have a perspective. Everyone has value, I guess. And from where they're standing. But the key thing is let them feel comfortable approaching you. And one of the things is being approachable. And when they come to you with their concerns, one thing that I really appreciated from my leaders early in my career was they didn't, you know, sometimes you think, oh, God, I've got to present bad news and I don't know what I'm doing, how to solve for it. And when you think they're going to freak out, they don't freak out. And it makes you really grateful for that. And that's something I've learned when, mm. you know, and I've had that feedback in my teams where they, I remember the last time I handed in my notice, there were a couple of, um, they weren't direct team members, but they were people who reported into my peer and they had a dotted line into me as the project manager. 
And when they found out they were leave, I was leaving, they said, oh, I'm really sorry. There were times when we had to present you with bad news. We knew you'd have to fix it by going to whoever senior and then be the shield. And you never freaked out on us. And we were always surprised how you never got upset <laughs> when we give you bad news. Oh, absolutely. And- but, you know, you, you've learned that, that when that happens, problems can be dealt with. See, if people are afraid to bring a problem to their boss and they sweep it under the carpet, what happens? You know, the problem doesn't go away. It probably gets worse. And so, you know, it, it, one of the best ways to destroy a business is to have that, that atmosphere of I can't bring bad news to the boss. That's a disaster, an absolute disaster. You know, if you're leading a team, you need to know what's going on in that team and you need to know if something's not going right, if something's going off the rails, you need to know so that you can take corrective action. So, you know, that's that's so critically important. But it comes back to what we were talking about, that trust, doesn't it? But, you know, talking about different management styles, different leadership styles, I mean, my style is very democratic. I like to consult my people. I like them to have their say. I like them to be a part in all of the decision-making. But in a crisis, that will change. And my background is emergency services. And, you know, as, as incident controller, when you're running the, the emergency services response to a major natural disaster, say a flood or, or, or a major um, storm impact or a fire or something like that, you cannot afford necessarily to spare the time to be democratic. Something happens, a decision has to be made right now, because if it's not, someone's going to die. Now, in that situation, I get much more, de- uh, much more um, autocratic. I get much more directive uh, and I'll be saying, okay, we've understood the situation now. Fred, you do this. Jim, you do that. George, you do the other thing and get that done. Once that crisis is handled, we can relax and go back to a much more democratic style again when we've got the time. So, you know, in a crisis, people appreciate being given firm direction. They like to know that someone is in control here and that no matter what has happened, you know, it may be something that we don't fully understand yet. We're not going to panic. We're not going to go off the rails completely. We're going to be dealing with this as um, best we can. As the information comes to hand, we can um, take that on board and we can adapt our response accordingly. But, you know, they all know their part in it. They all know that they can rely on the leader, me, to make decisions when decisions need to be made. And often... You know, particularly in the emergency service context, you have to make a decision with fairly incomplete information. You actually don't know exactly what is going on out there, um, but you know you've got to go with what you know, and also drawing on uh, experience from uh, previous incidents of the same kind, using your experience to make the best decision that you can make at the time. So you know, we we could we could talk uh, for a whole hour at least about leadership style and what that means. But you know, um, one of the things I would say about it is that whatever your natural style is. Um, it's going to change. It's going to, you're going to need to adapt to the needs of the situation that you find yourself in and also to the needs of the people that you're leading at the time. So, you know, sometimes in a particular situation, if you're dealing with a, uh, you're leading a team of people who are completely new to what's going on, uh, they don't have the confidence to take the initiative themselves. And so in that position, you'd be better off taking a a more directive type of leadership style rather than 
uh, being more democratic, uh, be a little bit more directive until they've built their confidence and they understand what the role's about and what's required of them. So, you know, it's it's a question, again, we've, we've, we started with this, didn't we, about knowing yourself and knowing your people, knowing what their capabilities are, what their strengths and weaknesses are, uh, knowing what your own strengths and weaknesses are. Uh, and if you don't think you have any weaknesses, well, that's a weakness right there. <laughs> so, you know, like self-awareness <laughs> is a big one, really. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. So, you know, that's it. But I think that there's a, a few mistakes that people make, um, particularly if they've been promoted from the team to lead the team. Now, used to be a colleague, used to be a peer with all of those guys, and now you're leading them. Hmm. What do you do? And uh, the big mistake a lot of people in that situation make is to think that they have to be everybody's friend. You don't. The situation has now changed. Yes, you need to have um, good relationships with your people, but you cannot always be their friend. Uh, sometimes the decisions that you have to make will upset some of them. And, you know, well, get over it, team. You know, that's how it has to be. I mean, when I took over this team down here and I, 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 I – the first thing I said to them almost was, look, I can guarantee that at some point, some decision that I make or some action that I take will annoy you. But have this, you know, I, I, I will guarantee you this, I'm not going to set out to deliberately annoy you just for the sake of it. You know, if something I do or something I say or you know, some decision that I make annoys you, well, come and talk to me about it. I'm not going to change my decision necessarily, but I will listen to you and I'll listen to your concerns and I'll listen to your annoyance because that's what I'm here to do. And, and maybe having told me about it, nothing will change, but you might feel a little bit better about it. And so, you know, that's my job. That's what I'm here to do. So, and they did. They, they actually did uh, after a while when they learned uh, that I wasn't going to blow up and uh, go into a rage and you – know, like my predecessor had done, <laughs> but if they brought me, if they brought me something that was really irritating them, I would listen to them. I let them talk about it. Uh, I might ask them, "Well, how could it be different? Is there something we could do to actually make that better?" Often, it was just a, 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 a situation where there was nothing to be done. We just had to accept it, but at least they felt heard. And that's what was enough to make the difference. So that diffuses resentment. If they've been able to talk, they've, had a, uh, they've been heard, then the resentment doesn't begin to grow. And resentment is corrosive. It's one of those things that will undermine all of your efforts and it will bring your team down if you let it, if you let it grow. Un, uh, unchallenged. Yeah, and we could go into one on that. There was a period in my career where I harbored a lot of resentment to my leader for a long time, even after I'd left. And that was um, that was pretty tough for me. But, uh, you know, it wasn't all his fault. There were certain things that I was just going through with regard to the company as well. The limitations mm -hmm. that they had uh, being a shrinking organization. And, yeah, it, it's mm -hmm. one of those things, I think. When you're in a certain situation, you you do the right things, you try your best, but sometimes sometimes you have to accept where a circumstance needs to be changed, and that's where it's important to be aware. As much as there's uncertainty, you have to you have to recognise there's a need to change and a driver for change, 
And then you have to really take that initiative. And sometimes leading may be leaving <laughs> as well. So, yeah, that could be a, a topic of conversation there. Um, yeah, indeed. There's a, there's, there's a whole um, lot we could talk about there, but, you know, talking just, just about resentment. You know, if, if you are feeling resentful about something, something your boss has said or your boss has done, you really need to go and talk to the boss about it because quite likely your boss has got no idea how you feel about it. Your boss is not a mind reader, you know. So if you don't have that conversation and you're allowing resentment to grow, that's your problem. It's your responsibility to go and have that conversation with the person that you perceive to be the risk to be causing all of this. And if you don't do it, you know, it, it's your problem. It really is. But, you know, that is uh, one of those things that comes back to trust again, that you feel that you mm. can trust that person enough to go and have that conversation with them because you know that you're going to talk about stuff that perhaps they may not want to hear, but it's their responsibility to hear it. And so – no, it's your responsibility. You go talk, have that conversation, clear it out, whatever it is. You know, maybe it can be fixed, maybe it can't. Maybe you're just going to have to live with it. But if you've had the conversation, at least you've been able to take the resentment out of it. No, I've left. I've left it. I did write about it in my blog, Lessons from Bad Bosses. So that's kind of my cathartic, shall we say, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? That's my catharsis. <laughs> yeah, no, the re so, release of all of that. But absolutely, yeah. you know that. Sometimes, you know, you will actually reach a point where you 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 got to say enough is enough. But what yeah. I would say is, it's really important not to just run away uh, from a bad situation. Much better to actually take stock of the situation, understand that it's not where you want to be right now, and then move towards something that you do want it's very important not to run away from something you don't want run towards something that you do want that makes all of the difference and again that's another coaching conversation and um, that in this instance you might be having with yourself but i have actually had that conversation with a team member of mine here who absolutely did not want to be there he'd come to work each day looking really miserable He'd do a crap job because he, his heart wasn't in it. So we had the conversation about, well, what do you want? You know, why are you here? It turned out he was here because he needed to pay his mortgage. He had to pay his bills, and that was the reason he had this job. So well, hang on a second. I know you've got to pay your bills. I know you've got to pay your mortgage. But wouldn't you be better off doing something that you actually want to be doing, something that you actually enjoy? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So we've had a long, we've had a conversation then about what does he actually want, you know, and that is a pure coaching conversation. It's a boss to a team member, yes, but it's a coaching conversation. It's about waking him up to what he really wants in his life, so that he can then go and look for it. And you know what he did? He actually found something that suited him much better. He resigned. He went. He created a vacancy on my team, which I could then fill with somebody who actually wanted to be there. So it was wins all round. You know, basically, he didn't have to run away from a situation he didn't want. He went to something that he did want. And I got to put someone in on my team who actually could do the job, wanted to be there, wanted to do a good job. And that was 
a, a, a really good result for, for all of us. Yeah, and that, that really works well when that happens. Even team members I've had, they've come to me to let me know as a courtesy that they were looking for work. And I was at least, even if I didn't have someone lined up, I was at least mentally prepared. And sometimes I did internally manage to line people up, you know. Hmm. Yeah, that's, I, that's some, one of the things, you know, as, as a leader where you've got people working for you, one of the things you've got an eye on is their career development. Where do they want to be? Where do they want to go next? Is there a way that I can help them? To Can I open up opportunities for them to do that? Now, unfortunately, what that means, sometimes you'll lose good people out of your team because they've moved onwards and upwards. Sometimes they'll do that within the organization. Yeah, which is a win yeah. for the organization as well as for the individual. But yeah, you know, yes, you've lost someone out of your team, but if you've helped somebody to take the next step up on their career trajectory, then that's a win for you um, as a leader. So. Absolutely. And I believe in good karma. So if you help someone to move on, even if they move on at your inconvenience because you have to manage a gap for a while, it's still good because A, they're going on to a better place and B, because they've worked for you, they've gone on for a better place, better job. They've been promoted. So that obviously makes you an attractive manager and leader to work for because you've actually developed people. You're not just someone who keeps them in a position or you burn them out and they actually end up destroying their careers. You know, So mm. It's, mm. it's as much about the people you help along the way who have worked for you more so than how successful you've been sometimes. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, if, if you get yourself a reputation as being um, a, an inspirational leader, someone who's genuinely interested in the people that you lead, then you'll find people within your organization wanting to move into your team. You'll find the best people in the organization gravitating towards you. So, you know, if you want to lead the best team, you want to lead the most high-performing team in your organization, that's a way to do it. The other thing, too, is that, of course, your reputation will spread beyond your organization. And that means whenever you're recruiting, you're going to draw good people because they've heard of you and they think, oh, yeah, he's doing good stuff over there. I could go and work for him because, you know, not only is that going to open up a new opportunity in terms of the new job that I'm moving into, but I also know that the potential is there for uh, career development and, you know, people want that. But also that kind of thing draws the attention of headhunters. And so, you know, if you're looking to further your own career, you know, that's, that's a really good way to be doing it. Get yourself a reputation for someone who's, who's good on the leadership side, good with the people. Yeah, thank you, Bernard. And uh, I think I think that's a brilliant place to uh, conclude this conversation. But you know, I've really enjoyed this, and definitely we should talk some more about leadership because there's certainly a few areas we could go deeper on, and some areas I'm thinking about that we can cover. So, just want to say, Bernard, it's been a great conversation, and I hope we have another fireside chat on leadership. <laughs> Indeed, I'm sure we will, Nancy, but I would be interested to hear from uh, listeners to this podcast. If anybody's got any questions or there's a, 
a subject particularly related to leadership that uh, that they'd like to uh, to expand on, uh, you know, uh, let us know because uh, you and I can easily get on and have another chat about um, about whatever people would like to hear about. So that would be really good feedback. Thank you. And what I'll do then is I'll set up a form, an online form on, in the show notes. So if anyone would like to provide feedback as well as uh, suggestions on leadership topics, please let us know. Thank you very much, everyone who's listened. I'm your host, Dante Healy, and you've been listening to Bernard Cates. Bernard, thank you very much. Thanks, Dante. Enjoyed it. Cheers. This podcast shares experiences and insights gained from business, IT, and digital finance. Hosted by two leaders who have made the leap themselves, this show is dedicated to helping listeners think differently about their career aspirations.